It's easy to overlook the quiet ones, which means that when I strike, you'll never see me coming. The problem with people today is that they're too fast, impatient. Everything's a hurry. They call it getting ahead. But I know they're all just mice spinning on a wheel. Me? <laughs> I don't spin. While everyone's out looking for every opportunity, I'm on the search for the one opportunity that matters. I may have nine lives, but that doesn't mean I'm going to waste them on foolish mistakes and burn through them all. I'm here to make my move in WoW. I will show what it's like when a competitor doesn't let the flash of the bright lights and the roaring of the crowd distract her from the task at hand. Sooner or later, that spinning mouse, so desperate for glory, will realize it's been trapped the whole time. It'll run, and for a second, it'll think it has a chance to escape. But what I know, that's all just part of the chase. And I built the cage. <laughs> What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? You know what? We all have our 15 minutes of fame. And I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Rights and Wrongs, the Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green, and we are on episode, uh, I guess, well, we, what, which way are we going to call this? We're going to call this the actual chronological numer numerical order, episode 54, or we're going to say uh, episode 203 for the new season. Either way it goes, the title is called Opportunity is Knocking, and uh, I guess... We will find out where, where that is relative to as the as the review goes on. Uh, before we do that, please, if you have not, you know, I, I don't really get into my stuff all that much, so I need to try to do it every every so often. So, listen, if you are so kind and inclined, you know, please give a like, subscribe to you know this channel wherever you happen to be catching it. It does help all the algorithms and gets us a little bit further up in the rankings and whatnot, and uh, so people can find us and uh, check out the podcast and the various various other things that may pop up on the channel from time to time. But you won't know those things if you don't uh, subscribe. So uh, if you're on YouTube, definitely please hit the like, hit the subscribe, all the, all the YouTube things. If you're not on YouTube and you're listening to this in a podcast platform, I guess outside of Google, Google platforms, well, I'm going to say Google platforms, 
outside of Google Podcasts because I understand that is coming to an end. But you can still catch this podcast on greater podcast platforms. And if you do, follow it, like it, subscribe. Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate your time. So, well, let's just get right into it. This is, uh, like I said, episode 54. We are in a new season of WoW, as evident by the new graphics and uh, the departure of AJ Mendez and uh, new lower thirds. A little bit of change in some people's outfits and as well as the aesthetic of the, uh, of the arena, we'll call it. Uh, all of which I would say, you know, maybe with the exception of AJ leaving, all of which I would say is a, has been a plus for the show to some degree. I've just seen it a little different. The pacing's been a little different. They still keep the the basic uh, thing that Wild likes to do. They like to have four matches per show, and uh, that hasn't really changed. But outside of that, I think that they have uh, done well. And these new changes that they have added into their programming, hopefully it will last and continue and uh, it will just keep ramping up their program. But time will tell. We'll see. So on this episode, uh, episode 54, it begins with the interview of the Tonga Twins. They come out as, the, of course, the new Wild Tag Team Champions. Uh, it has to be that David McLean is in the ring and, uh, you know, he's doing, doing his interview thing. Uh, this was immediately interrupted by Sophia Lopez. You know, the, the, the target twins probably didn't get a good two seconds in the ring before that just immediately changed. So, uh, they did not get the chance to do or say much before it was cut off by Lopez and Las Banditas. Uh, Lopez explained how the Banditas are were getting a title shot. I was, I was gonna I was gonna say present tense, but we don't wanna <clears throat> we don't wanna put it that way. We we need to give it give it in the tense that they're addressing. So they have a title shot and she's explaining how they acquired this title shot and in some convoluted fashion now this is probably the best that wow has been able to do as far as explaining but like i said first thing you have to get considered is that the tonga twins didn't even open their mouth before sofia lopez and las Medinas came out the ringside declaring themselves like you know we're the, we're the number one contenders etc etc uh, this was nice to see because just because it was different, just because somebody has a microphone in their hand and they getting the chance to do and say something outside of just the standard wild stuff. Where I didn't like it is that it became an issue between Lopez addressing David McLean, not Lopez addressing the Tonga twins. That that is a very minor thing, but it always happens to him. David McLean is the foil for the heels coming in and talking more often than not. Very rarely do they actually just address the other person. And that's what you have here. You have a case of Lopez comes out, David McLean, we have a problem, blah, blah, blah. You know, now granted, he is the on camera matchmaker. So 
there is something to be said for him being addressed. But it would help to have these people address that their direct opponent every once in a while. Every once in a while, it would it would help. But uh, this is all allegedly due to the deal that was worked out with the mother truckers, which all of this seems kind of out of out of sequence for me. Especially when we've already had the we don't lay down for anybody mother truckers moment and them getting a non-title match not being declared number one contenders when they won that non-title match that would have been the ideal thing to do it was like hey all right well we'll be taking that number one contender spot that was never addressed so i don't know how they just shoehorned themselves into it theoretically they did beat the champions they being the mother truckers so they should have gotten the position as the number one contenders but that was never solidified or addressed within the course of the show by David McLean or Stephen Dickey so you know where does that leave us and then you have them come out them again being the mother truckers facing off against Las Banditas and not wanting to do the job and they get arrested for it which I felt like that could have just been a sequence like you're going to give us this number one contendership they, they, they've never addressed the number one contendership that the mother truckers won for them to lose in the first place. It's been implied. I will give them that. It's been implied, but it was never addressed. Uh, and as far as this goes and where the mother truckers are at this point in the show, they're pretty much right back where they started. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those wild things that wild likes to do. You know, they, we don't want to commit ourselves to any one given thing so we'll just leave it as loosely knit as possible but no uh, outside of that I do enjoy that they tried something different and I have to give them credit for that they tried something different and it looks different feels different so thumbs up for them in, in that respect so at the end of this is basically the Banditas coming out wanting a title match and the, and the Tonka Twins going ahead and accepting. That that's pretty much what this came down to, which does somewhat beg the question: What do they need to have a number one contendership for? If all they needed to do was walk out there and was like, "Hey, we want a title shot," and the Tonka Twins were going to give it to them, what what did they need to win any sort of number one contendership for? They've they've. Pretty much just ask and you shall receive. And that's what they got. Um, so, yeah, the segment is fine. I, I still wish that it was less David McLean within these things. He does not need to do everything. I am beating a dead horse with that. I've said it over and over. I've said it on several episodes of this. But it ain't changing. So, you know, I, I, yeah, it would be nice if they did less of that. Especially when, like I said, more often than not, he becomes the buffer to these situations and they start talking to him rather than saying, hey, look, I, we want a title match and the Tonga, the YouTube jack-offs are, you know, running away from us or this, that, and that. It's, it's, it's not a confrontational thing like we are used to seeing in most wrestling environments. Here is Dave McClain, we have a problem. Dave McClain then translates that to the next person. They send, then they talk, they respond 
he talks back and then you know something's pushed off from that that seems to be the overall uh flow as it relates to these shows and and, and mclean and his spot so in any case that's what sets up the main event for the night this is not great storytelling in my view but you know we'll, we'll just go with it the first segment following that or the first match following that is holiday taking on princess ozzy is moments like these where, and, and this is not a slight on the match, but I've said on a number of occasions that the commentators take away from the match by talking about and saying things that can't be either proven or they're talking about things that nobody knows anything about. And this is one of those moments where I'm like, you know, this makes Stephen Dickley come off bad. He comes off like a David McClain clone in a lot of cases, but this makes him comes off bad. He's overhyping feuds and records of things that most of these people watching the show now have no concept of. And whereas it is the job of the commentator to provide the history, and I agree with that, you should provide the history, but it's also they have history there to show. If they wanted to provide it, they could get into this this long-standing back-and-forth rivalry that Princess Ozzy and Holiday have had over the last few years, which I do not recall at all. But that's what they're hyping up as. And if that's the case, then they should go ahead and do it. If, they, if, if there is some sort of epic feud the way that they're making it out to be, then show it. You know, but if you, if you can't show that, then... It, don't try to hype it up as something else. I mean, yeah, they got history together. But don't try to hype this up to be like, oh, this is one of the greatest wrestling feuds ever in the history of wrestling. No, it is not. And one of the reasons that it can't be hyped up is because when the angle that was applied to was just dropped. They never addressed it. They never talked about it. Never never explained how Princess Ozzy got free of this mystical mind control that they had over her. I mean, because for all intents and purposes, she had joined up with Holiday and Siren and became their lackey and, you know, just, just some crazy person that was uh, part of their clique, for lack of a better term. But that didn't go anywhere. So <laughs> it, it, it becomes very difficult to address these things as a commentator, like, oh, yeah, the rivalry between Holiday and, and Princess Ozzy when, A, it wasn't really a rivalry between the two of them. It was more Princess Ozzy against the dark side. We'll just call them that. And B, there was no conclusion to it. It just it just stopped. <laughs> so, so no, I would not be bringing up or pointing out or talking about these things when they never went anywhere and had any, any sort of definitive end to them. You just, you know, you're bringing up stuff that only makes Wild look bad. And that makes them look bad. Uh, Dave McLean isn't any better for making up backstories for these things that we never saw. I mean, you know, that, again, Wild has an interesting decision to make, you know, at least for the next couple of months, in that they have a history in their show. They have been around on and off since 2001. And yes, they've had massive gaps in between this time. But 
there is a history there. The question is, how much of that history do you acknowledge? And I would say, in relation to major plot points, major angles, and things like that, then yes, they should absolutely keep that up, and they should talk about it, they should address it, and things like that. But all the angles that they have that were just instantaneously dropped or forgotten about or they just moved on from for whatever reason that they decided to do it. I would be avoiding that through every means possible. That would be my mandate to my commentators. You can talk about some of the stuff around it, but do not talk about the angles that would that were just done. In other words, don't talk about this rivalry between Holiday and Princess Ozzy that didn't take place that might make somebody go and try to look it up and see that there was no rivalry here. Just move on from it. Or, or at the very least, bring up the things that you know you can talk about that can be, you know, addressed. And it won't come off as crazy. Princess Ozzy had some issues with the entirety of the dark side, and Holiday was one of them. Then you move on. They don't have to go into, well, it was, you know, build it up to some overhyped thing that never took place. Uh, they start talking about uh, what a mean streak that Ozzy, I don't know what Stephen Dickey was talking about there. I and that's what I wrote. I have no idea what Stephen Dickey's talking about here. And, and, Honestly, the commentating in this match took away from the match. If you're looking at the match on its own, it's probably fine. The co- and I hate saying that because, like I've said before, I think Stephen Dickey's a fine uh, play-by-play guy. He has his down spots, largely because of the environment that they're in. But I think he's he's fine, but here it just didn't work. For whatever reason, it just didn't work. Just the the ongoing, we have to give some kind of backstory to what's happening here. Just took away from this match. So anyway, at the end, Ozzy hits Holiday with a cutter, and then she follows it with a frog splash for the pin. And there we go. She she gets the pin one two three. What I did like here is that she got another promo following the match, which is surprising to me. And that she as she says she wants a rematch, she's ready to try again. That was a plus. I was I was pleased there solely on the basis of it was not another case of I lost, so oh well, I'll just shuffle myself back down to nowhere. As with her friend Candy Crush, she lost, and then Princess Ozzy just kind of swooped in and became the you know, became the new face in that feud. It was like she uh substituted Candy Crush. I mean, she took the heat and and just got substituted in. But rather than her being shuffled off from it, she actually addressed it, says she wanted another shot. She needs to rematch. She she feels like she can get it done. And so she's addressing this again. It has to be addressed to David McLean because, you know, what are you asking for? So, you know, he's he's not reading between the lines or maybe he's doing the, the, uh, the, the matchmaker thing and being to the letter, like, let me not assume what are you asking me? 
So it's it's fine. Uh, I just I just really wish he would just be one or the other, not all three. So anyway, yeah. So she she's announced as wanting to a rematch. Dave McClain says you get one, not today. We you know we got one coming up in the next couple of weeks. And she pretty much she being Princess Oz pretty much says you know I, I'll take it. You know that she she'll take whatever opportunity that she can get. That that's not. Her what she said verbatim, but that's essentially where we're getting at. The next segment is a Katrina Jinx vignette. Now, you know how I feel about these vignettes in a while. And I will get to that in a moment. But this came off to me. Like somebody sat back there, like, ooh, let's, you know, I, I want a cat character wrestler. So let's just write all this nonsense about cats and non lives and this, that, and the other. And that's pretty much what we got. We got a Katrina Jenks pro- vignette and promo spoken in cat character. And I have no idea what this was about. This is a rambling promo. It sounded very convincing. I will give her that. It sounded very convincing. Like whatever it is that she was trying to relate to. In terms of delivery, yes, there, there's a lot of conviction there. In terms of what she actually was saying, I was like, I do not know what the hell she was talking about. It was just people live their lives and this and that and, you know, something, some cat puns. And I was like, oh, man, this is uh, this is not not good. Although I, I know what's going to happen is that it is likely going to be covered up in the fact that it is done with such conviction. And it is. It's done with a lot of conviction. And sometimes the conviction can get you past. I said that about Bray Wyatt promos. I didn't necessarily care for the Bray Wyatt promos. You know, I know that's probably blasphemy now since he's passed away. But, but no, I, I mean... I didn't necessarily care for them because they were nonsensical to me. But one thing I can say that he did is he spoke with a lot of conviction, which carried the promo regardless of what he was saying. And so I think there is something to be said here. So I don't say that as an insult. I say as a compliment because if, if Bray can do it and be seen as one of the greatest, and this young lady, Katrina Jinx, Although I hope that if she's going to continue doing promos that they do not keep going in a nonsensical fashion. I, I stand by this. This is a rambling promo. I have no idea what she's talking about. Sounds good, but it just, I have no idea what she's talking about. This is followed by a backstage segment with Princess Ozzy and Candy Crush. Crush asks, asks Ozzy to watch her match. And, uh, Ozzy makes it sound like she's mentally elsewhere, but she'll try. And, you know, it's like the the subtlety in this segment or this scene is it looks as if Candy Crush is disappointed that Princess Ozzy won't be there. Like, hey, you come see my match. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Sure. Yeah, I understand. You know, that like the little kid who just got it heartbroken. Like him. Dad's not coming to see me play baseball today. You know, so something like that. That's how this comes across. Now, where this is going, if it goes anywhere at all, remains to be seen. It seems like they are trying to set up a split 
or some kind of problem between the two of them. But I can never tell with WoW because they'll bring up something that is never addressed ever, ever, ever again. So I have no idea where this is going. It seems like this will be the start of, a, of an angle or a storyline, but I do not know. Just take it for this that Ozzy, in this regard, probably is not the best friend in the world for Candy Crush. So like, what is it that you're doing that's so important that you like you couldn't go see the very next match on the show? <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, I don't know where this is going. If it's going anywhere, we'll, we'll find out. The next thing is the match itself, Katrina Jinx versus Candy Crush. I do not recognize Katrina Jinx. She's got a lot of makeup on, so I don't know if she's somebody off of the Indies or not. Um, the match is fine. Uh, the, the commentators keep referring to her in, as a cat of some sort. And I'm certain that they cannot possibly expect, well, maybe they do. I was going to ask, they cannot expect the people that's watching the show to actually believe that Katrina, can't even say her name, Katrina Jinx is leaping around from building to building, you know, as she implied in her promo. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's not an insane person. <laughs> or maybe she is, who knows. So anyway, we we have this, and the match is fine. But the, it's, I will say, Crush is getting better as she should, and she uh, she continues to evolve. Uh, clearly, there's somebody out in that crowd that she knows, and she come out there and give her a big old hug. You know, she walks by my family member, friend. I don't know. But uh, this is. The standard debut for WoW. And I knew that, that I was hoping I was wrong. I was hoping that I would be wrong and that it would go differently. But I was not. I was right, as I've always been right with these things. I think I might have been wrong once with that. If they show a vignette of somebody, it is a clear sign that they are going to lose. And that is exactly what happened. Candy Crush defeated Katrina Jenks on her debut match. Now, I've said before, the idea of loss on the debut match is not in and of itself a bad thing. Everybody does not need to win when they have a debut. But WoW has made it a standard practice that if they debut somebody and they show a vignette explaining who they are and what they're doing and their motivations... If they dedicate that kind of time and effort to them on their first showing, they are going to lose. And this was no different. Crush wins with a lights out, which is basically her version of an Olympic slam, and one, two, three, you're done. My question that I wrote here was why? Why did they have this woman debut and debut to a loss? No one here that has debuted to a loss has done anything of any value. So why do that? For what reasons? It, it just, it didn't make a, a great deal of sense to me. Crush, the, the, I will go back and repeat, she, she looks better in this match. She looks, you know, smooth, like she's getting the, uh, <clears throat> getting the rhythm of being a wrestler. 
or maybe I should say getting the rhythm of being a wild superhero because it's probably a little different than being on the indies. This ring looks crazy small when when I really look at it in, in a wide shot. But I mean that's neither here nor there. But you know you get what I'm saying here. It's she's she's a wild superhero, so it's probably a little bit different than which what the average wrestler will be used to on the independent circuit. Ring might be a little bigger than what they're doing. And certainly the ropes are a little higher. Anyway, I I get back to the the end of this. I don't know why they had her debut and debut to a loss. I don't know why they continue to want to do that. Seems a little counterproductive to me to start this person off who, you know, could have been a, a star of, of some description, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to have them, you know, just get beaten immediately, and hopefully we'll build them back up later on. So that was the debut of Katrina Jenks. Let's see how many weeks is going to be before we see her again, and if she, if we do, is she going to win the next go-round? The next segment is BK Rhythm and Gigi Gianni having a backstage confrontation with Coach Campanelli and Ariel Scott. Uh, this is <laughs> this is probably pretty much the, the, what you would expect out of it. Um, at the end of this, they they make a match with each other, as you know you expect, because wrestlers have full control over when and where and how they take their matches these days. Uh, so they make a match with each other, like, all right, well, we're selling the ring. All I see right now is that Ariel Sky is the new idiot of the team. It, it's, Randy Rara and Ariel Sky both have just been the absolute, you know, Larry and Curly to Coach Campanelli's Mo. I started off saying that it was a, a straight man idiot complex where you had Campanelli and Rara. It was much like an Abbott and Costello or something along those lines. Now we're down to is the Three Stooges. Just three idiots that have banded together and one of which happens to be smarter and more dominant than the other two. So the match is made. BK Rhythm with Gigi Gianni taking on Coach Campanelli with Ariel Sky. The story here is that neither coach or Ariel Sky knew where Randy Rara is. That was the whole point behind the uh, the uh, segment that just passed. Them, Rhythm and Gianni, poking fun at him for not knowing where Rara is. Because Randy Rara doesn't carry a cell phone, you see. So, you know, they have no, they have no means to being able to get in contact with her. And she doesn't have an email and they don't know where she stays, and they don't have any social media attention on her. So all the ways that you know to get in contact with somebody, none of those things apply here because you know Randy Rara is off of the off of the radar. So you know that it makes absolute sense. So there you have it. You know that they uh, set the match, and neither coach or Scott know where Rara is. Apparently, they haven't spoken in about two weeks. So to make of that what you will. Even though uh, this is, I guess, as much a, a Gianni thing as BK Rhythm. Rhythm is the one that's having the match, and uh, Gianni is out there with them. They, the commentators are now started referring to them as the Brat Pack. 
her Gianni rhythm and uh, Rocket. Um, I, I don't really have a problem with the name. I just I just kind of question like, well, why are they called the Brat Pack? They're roughly the same age as everybody else there. And, and you know, and as a side note, let, let let's do a little history moment here. The Brat Pack was a name given to a collection of actors who were loosely knit as a group in Hollywood in the 80s. They were the faces of the next wave of young actors at that time. I mean, they're all adults and in their 50s and you know, and possibly 60s at this point. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's what the Brat Pack was. That was how they got the name. And that was a play off of the Rat Pack with in the I guess the popular version of them in the sixties with Dean Martin and Sinatra and then uh Sammy Davis Jr. And they were the second incarnation of Rat Pack, with first of which, from what I understand, was a loose knit group of actors with Humphrey Bogart and a couple of other people. The name being that they were apparently that this is the legend. I don't know if none of this is true. I don't know or not. But the legend being is that they were coming back from someplace, and uh, gosh, what was Humphrey? I can't remember his his woman's name right now. It'll probably hit me in a moment. But she seeing them um, coming home, we'll say, kind of collected like that, said y'all look like a group of a pack of rats. That was apparently how that came about. So there you know that they have the rough history. I mean that we're doing a very cut down version of that but that that is basically the uh the overall overall origins of the name. So there you have that that's that's how you have the rat pack and that's how you have the the brat pack. Which you know, again, like I said, it doesn't uh, it doesn't really equate here because the, the Brat Pack was a a statement as it relates to age. But it's hard to have that when everybody around you is pretty much the same age. They all they're all the same. Lauren Bacall, that's what I meant. That was the name. I knew it was gonna come to me. Lauren Bacall. They they credit her with giving the name of the Rat Pack version one, which Rat Pack version two took. Which Hollywood then labeled this group of, of young actors who were all in their late teens and early 20s in the 80s as the Brat Pack. Big side note there, but not, you know, now you have a little bit of Hollywood history along with it. So there you have it. Uh, so anyway, Rhythm does her normal thing, does the rap like normal. This uh, not particularly good, but she does her, her rap. Uh, Get into the end. Coach wins it. I mean, if there's anyone in that team that does win, Coach Campanelli wins. Uh, typically, without the the need or help or assistance of of anyone else, because apparently within that group she's the she's the smartest of the bunch. But she wins with her version of an unprettier, and then she gets attacked by Gianni while Ariel Sky is standing outside on the on the phone, not four feet away. And somehow not paying attention to anything that's going on. That was just, a, man. Whew. That just seems like really, really, really poor 
storytelling. I mean, I, I can understand if she walked off or went to the back or something like that, but you mean to tell me that standing there at ringside with the phone in your hand, you had no ability to tell that something was going on not fucking four feet in front of you? So they beat up Coach Campanelli and throw her out of the ring. She looks at Ariel Scott like, what's going on? What are you doing? Because she's got the phone in her hand, yanks it out, and, and as she should be, she's mad about it. So I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if this is going to spell the end of the team. I don't know where the story here is, but that that is what happens in that uh Ariel Sky apparently was on the phone. We assume it might be Randy Rara. We don't know. They haven't haven't said anything about that yet. But yes, Ariel Sky's peripheral vision and ability to hear all just got cut off at the moment that uh, her partner and leader were getting attacked in the ring, and she didn't do anything about it. Lift a finger, look the other way, nothing. Just just was on the phone talking. So we move on from that. We got a video package in the next segment to explain how the Banditas got their title match. And this just makes the mother truckers look stupid, in my opinion. When did they get declared as no one contenders in the first place? I said that at the beginning, but when did that ever happen? They never got declared as number one contenders. And I said before, with the mother truckers and their situation, Wow has tried to make them out to be sympathetic and to some degree make them out to be the victim in this scenario. But they aren't the victims here. They, they aren't the victims in this scenario. They, they, they willingly signed a paper to, to get out of jail, which I don't understand why they did it, because apparently they could just leave whenever they feel like it. And we'll get to that. So we're at the main event, and this is a tag team championship match for the wild tag team titles between the Tonga Twins and Las Banditas. Keep in mind the Banditas have, you know, a very spotty record. They win, they lose, you know, they, they, they're just not on a complete losing streak, but they certainly have not done anything to warrant a title shot. I, I guess you would say that was – Part of the story being told here is that they haven't done anything to warrant a title shot, but they got one anyway. They got maneuvered into one, and that's fine. What it, what doesn't work here is that it was almost never expressly said that they were taking a title shot from the mother truckers or something to that degree. These things just happened, which is largely what WoW does. So as this is going on, the Carlson Twins, well, I shouldn't say as is going on. The Carlson Twins are already at the table. They're doing commentating, which yeah, I'm sure the second that you would have seen the Carlson Twins sitting at the table for a match they got nothing to do with, it screams angle alert. So we knew something was going to happen at some point. So they're there. They're doing the commentating. They're doing a good job. I, I will give that. Uh, a triple threat match is announced for next week when they have, they announce that Princess Ozzy and Tormenta and Penelope Pink have a, 
a title match. I don't know how this came about and what's Tormenta do, even doing in it, but I guess we'll get to that. Wild has decent matches, but they have some really poor storytelling. So, you know, I, I can't get on the match in and of itself, but they don't have a lot of uh, payoff or storytelling within the match that mean anything. The the match in and of itself isn't important. I mean, let, let's just get to the end of this. The, the Tonga Twins win the match. They retain. I don't think there's any surprise there. Even though the Banditas kept one of the twins in the ring for a significant amount of time and they wore out and they did a good job and all that stuff. <clears throat> what they did not do is uh, defeat the team because the other twin comes in and she's fresh as daisy and of course the Tonga twins are kind of related as the big bad team on the block stronger than everybody else and pretty much incapable of being bullied or shoved around. Because when the other sister comes in, she pretty much handles that team by herself. Does, does not need the help of her sister to help her in this match at all. Just cleaning house. So, uh, Rivera dives onto uh, one of the twins at the end, or at least she, I shouldn't say Rivera, I'm sorry, uh, Sanchez dies onto one of the twins at the end. She gets caught, turned into a belly-to-belly. She gets put down. Then Rivera charges up, gets caught in the uh, Samoan drop, follow-away slam position, which sets up for the finish, that double follow-away net-breaker combination. One, two, three, they're done. So there we have it. They get they hit the finish for the win. Then Sweet Heat attacks after the match from nowhere, which, of course, we all saw that coming. And then out of nowhere come the, the mother truckers. They come in for the save. What happened to jail? When they got taken away for not being a part of uh, laying down for Sofia Lopez, they were allegedly taken to jail right then and right there. That, that was the, the whole precipice of that, that conversation. Or what what... Sophia Lopez was telling them, do what I tell you to do or we're going to send you to jail. Right? And not a week later, not out. Now, beforehand, they couldn't get out on their own. They needed to call Sophia Lopez. They had to fly in from where, from Los Angeles to wherever they were. You know, and, and the only way out was for them to cut a deal so they could get out of jail. Now, how are they out now? How is it that this has changed? There was absolutely zero consequence for them turning down Sofia Lopez and not laying down. They're, they're right back out. They're right back out and back on the show. What, what consequence is it there? I mean, if I knew that I could just screw somebody over, sign some papers and be like, no, I'm not doing that, I would do it too. But what happened here? How is this a thing? How are they back out? It's not explained. I doubt that they're ever going to explain it. And, you know, I already got on them for like, we're not afraid of jail. Like, okay, well, if you weren't so afraid of it, then were you desperately trying to get out to the point that you're going to call somebody that you know is going to try to screw you over? Or well, I shouldn't even say screw you over, but at least use you at, you know, at, at worst case scenario. 
what where was that concern about being behind or that lack of concern about being behind bars then? And not in the laws that well, they theoretically should be in a Los Angeles jail somewhere, but they're not. Where was this? Why why is this happening? What 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 did they need Sophia Lopez for in the first place if it was that easy for them to get out of jail on their own power? So anyway, the mother truckers, like I said, they come out of nowhere to save the Tonga twins who are getting beat down by both Las Banditas and Sweet Heat. And the mother truckers come out and they start wailing away and trying to even the odds. And that's fine. The commentators say that the Banditas got the title shot in the first place because of Lopez's deal with the truckers, but they, they later say it's because the Tonga Twins accepted the challenge. Which goes back to what I said at the beginning. I was like, okay, which is this? Is it because they maneuvered themselves into a no more contendership spot that they didn't earn? That seemed to be where the story was going. But then right there on camera, it's like, we accept your match. They're like, well, okay, is it because the Tonga Twins accepted or is it because they wormed their way in? It can't be both. And if you're trying to get the story of, of sympathy, on the truckers or having their spot stolen, then it should have just been, you know, I had the mother trucker spot. This is the contract. They, I sent them off to jail because they wouldn't lay down, but that does not negate the fact that they won against the tag team champions. They were the number one contenders. I've transferred that ranking legally over to this team here, Las Banditas. Something just to explain it off. But they didn't do that, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it is what it is. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you could see that that was coming a mile away. It, it screamed angle alert just by them sitting out there. What I didn't expect was the mother truckers just to pop up out of nowhere and then blam. You know, that we're right back out of jail, apparently. Uh uh, at the beginning of this, I said I wish Dave McClain would do less as far as the interviews and all that stuff like that. And I will go back and say one other thing about that, that he draws a lot of the attention on him when he does these interviews, which it shouldn't be. But he does. He, just by him being there, he draws a lot of attention on him. Like I said, they do not address the person that they want to fight. They address Dave McClain which, in my view, shouldn't be that way. He doesn't direct the flow of the interview well either. The interviewer should be able to direct how the interview goes, meaning, you know, you ask questions that lead the, the uh, subjects into where they need to be talking. Mean Gene Okerlund was very good about that when they did all those backstage interviews and they'd be like, oh, okay, so this Sunday you're going to be facing off against Hulk Hogan at, at, the, at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you start asking questions that are pretty much providing the information for that person. Dave McClain doesn't really do that, and I'm not saying he needs to do it the exact same way. He may not even need to do it at all. But it would help if he did give some level of uh, direction with that and, you know, and allow them to address the other person, not him. 
he should be stepping in and saying stuff when it gets down to the point that the matchmaker needs to intervene. So when they come out and they say, well, first of all, they shouldn't even be saying, Dave McClain, we got a problem with this. We got a problem with the Tonga Twins. And then he can say, okay, ho, ho, this is their interview time. What is it that you want? Then he goes off and, you know, they go off and explain that we're no more contenders. Then you give it back to Twins. What do you think about that? He, does, he doesn't seem to direct that very well in, in my view. Maybe it's going to take a little bit more time, but yeah, he does. It just doesn't seem to direct that very well in in my overall view. But that was the episode. That is where it is. Uh, episode fifty four, opportunity knocks, and I guess that opportunity was the opportunity of Las Benditas, which they blew because they lost. So, so, and the opportunity for Katrina Jinx to join the Wild roster, which she also blew because she lost. So. Opportunities was knocking, but it couldn't come in. They they both got kind of derailed in, in that regard. So there we have it, folks. That was the overall review of this episode of Wow Wow, episode 54, or episode 202, whatever it was, you know, in the, of the new season. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the, the this particular review. We'll be back next week and see if this actually goes somewhere. Can this take off? And will they make sense with what they're talking about? That will be the real question. That'll be the thing that we try to find out. That'll be the question that needs to be asked. And in the interim of that, in the meantime and in between time, you can go on to the WPNWrestling.com site if you want to check out anything and everything that we have going on. I'm going to have to start putting their press releases up. I'm getting a, a more of these by the day. And I can't really talk about all of the press releases that I get. You know, whether that be um, there's a there's a new movie coming out uh, out of out in the ring, out in the ring, which is talking about the uh, representation of the LGBT, LTGBQ wrestlers out there uh, that's been sent out of course AEW sends stuff out pretty rarely uh, MLW <laughs> and WOW uh, and a lot of times I, I tend to skip over some of those things or I bring up the ones that are pertinent to the uh, the conversations that I'm talking about at the time but I think I'm gonna, gonna try to change some of that and do better along with those things because you know, that there's a lot of information that's out there, and I think that it needs to be related to the wrestling fans because, hey, these are all things that you want to know. These are all things that you you, you need to know about your, your favorite wrestlers, whether, whether they be on the independents or, you know, here and wow and so on and so forth. So with that, oh, yeah, yeah, one other thing. I was thinking about in, introducing a another not angle but a uh, a new we'll, we'll say segment when I'm going to just bring up different wrestling matches different female wrestling matches that are out there that you may need to check out and you know just so you can get a different flavor for what wrestling exists out in the world now i probably will talk about this later because i hadn't finished watching the the two or three that i needed to see but i am going to make one suggestion 
with that with the match not completely seen. So I'm gonna just put that disclaimer out there first because I saw one of the one of the portions of the match, and man, I I am not a big fan of crazy hardcore matches. I'm, I'm and I'm probably less of a fan of it with with some of the women. I got I don't mind it when it meets a purpose. But when you talk about having wild vicious matches, I mean and Wild talks about it all the time. We talk about wild vicious matches and oh this is the most craziest thing I ever seen. They don't come close. They don't come close. And the match that I am going to suggest that you watch as a means to kind of see the difference of that is you look up Randy West versus Mickey Knuckles. And they had a hardcore match. Now, there are probably two things that I remember from that match or, or the clips that I saw. And again, I'm going to go back and watch uh, this match later. I hope I do not regret it. Well, one of the things is, the, you know, the, the light tube grids. I, I, I cannot, I don't know why anybody would do this, much less these these women doing it and doing it in front of maybe 50 people. I mean, it, it, this is just ridiculous that you would put your body through that kind of punishment for that few people. I mean, it's hard enough. It, it would be a difficult thing to do even if it were 80,000 people. But letting yourself be smashed face first into a bed of light tubes is just beyond ridiculous to me. Especially when I've seen, you know, one of these women break her damn leg participating in a match like this. Bleeding all over the place. Scarred up because of the glass. I mean, it's glass. It's not like it's working glass. It's not like it's sugar. This is actual glass. And glass is unpredictable and it cuts and it hurts. And they are having a full-on match with this, smacking each other over the head with it. I mean, Randy West grabbed Knuckles by the head and basically face-planted her into a grid of light tubes. And you got, you know, what, 20, 30 people standing around watching that? So I'm not saying this as a means of, you know, hey, this is better necessarily, but I, what I am saying is that this match puts any hardcore match that WoW has even thought about to absolute shame. Absolute shame. I ain't even finished watching all of it. Just the two, three minutes that I saw outdoes anything that they have ever done in any ring anywhere. If you don't believe me, go watch the match. Randy West, Mickey Knuckles, Typhoon of Tubes is the is the title. Typhoon of Tubes. And no, these two ladies are goddamn crazy. I appreciate them both, but they are crazy. And I would never allow that if I was running a wrestling promotion. Like, nope, we're not buying these light tubes, not letting you do this. No, no, no. So anyway, that is it. You watch this. It's goddamn. 
And I just pulled this up and I'm seeing them just sit in a chair, smacking each other back and forth with light tubes across the head. And it would be really hard for me to feel sympathy for anybody that like got glass in a horrible portion of their body. I hope that didn't happen. It would be hard for me to have that kind of sympathy to sit there and watch them voluntarily do this to themselves. And the promoter that allowed this to happen. So yeah, you go look that up. Tell me what you think. Leave your comments in the in the uh, in the, uh, the the comment area below, and we'll talk about that. I, all I can hope is that either the adrenaline was high, or they were doped up, or both. So, so with that, folks, enjoy the review. Enjoy WoW. Check out your homework assignment. Mickey Knuckles versus Randy West, Typhoon the Tubes. And then we will catch you all back here uh, in the next episode. So on that note, this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long. And we will see you on the next go round. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.